Chapter Twenty Seven of the Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tibby. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Seven An Encounter. I left my uncle's room and went on my own to make what preparation I could for going abroad with him. I got out my biggest box and put in all my best things and all the trifles I thought I could not do without. Then, as there was room, I put in things I could do without, which yet would be useful. Still, there was room. The content would shake about on the continent. So I began to put in things I should like to have, but which were neither necessary nor useful. Before I had got these in, the box was more than full, and some of them had to be taken out again. In choosing which were to go and which to be left, I lost time, but I did not know anything about the trains, and expected to be ready before my uncle, who would call me when he thought fit. My thoughts also hindered my hands. Very likely I should never marry John. I would not heed that. He would be mine all the same. But to promise that I would not marry him, because it suited such a mother's plan to marry him to someone else, that I would not do to save my life. I would have done it to save my uncle's, but our exile would render it unnecessary. At last I was ready, and went to find my uncle, reproaching myself that I had been so long away from him. Besides, I ought to have been helping him to pack, for neither he nor his arm were quite strong yet. With a heart full of apology I sought his room. He was not there neither was he in the study. I went all over the house, and then to the stable, but he was nowhere, neither had any one seen him, and death was gone too. The truth burst upon me. I was to see him no more while that terrible woman lived. No one was to know whither he had gone. He had given himself for my happiness. Vain intention! I should never be happy. To be in paradise without him would not be to be in heaven. John was in London. I could do nothing. I threw myself on my uncle's bed and lay lost in despair. Even if John were with me and we found him, what could we do? I knew it now as impossible for him to separate us as he might be unmolested, as it was for us to accept the sacrifice of his life that we might be happy. I knew that John's way would be to leave everything and go with me and my uncle, only we could not live upon nothing, least of all in a strange land. Martha, to be sure, could manage well enough with the bailiff, but John could not burden my uncle, and could not lay his hands on his own. In the meantime, my uncle was gone, we knew not whither. I was like one lost on the dark mountains. If only John would come to take part in my despair. With a sudden agony, I reproached myself that I had made no attempt to overtake my uncle. It was true I did not know, for nobody could tell me in what direction he had gone but Zoe's instinct might have sufficed where mine was useless. Zoe might have followed and found Thanatos. It was hopeless now. But I could no longer be still. I got Zoe and fled to the moor. All the rest of the day I rode hither and thither, nor saw a single soul on its wide expanse. The very life seemed to have gone out of it. When most we take comfort in loneliness, it is because there is someone behind it. The sun was set, and the twilight deepening toward night when I turned to ride home. 
i had eaten nothing since breakfast and though not hungry was thoroughly tired through the great dark hush where was no sound of water though here and there like lurking live thing it lay about me i rode slowly back my fasting and the dusk made everything in turn take a shape that was not its own i seemed to be haunted by things unknown i have sometimes thought whether the spirits that love solitary places may not delight in appropriating for embodiment momentary and partial such a present shape as may happen to fit one of their passing moods whether it is always the mere gnarled crone-like hawthorn or misshapen rock that between the wanderer and the pale sky suddenly appals him with the sense of another the hawthorn the rock the dead pine is indeed there but is it alone there some such thought was i remember in my mind when about halfway from home i grew aware of something a little way in front that rose between me and the dark part of the sky it seemed a figure on a huge horse my first thought very naturally was of my uncle the next of the great gray horse and his rider that john and i had both seen on the moor i confess to a little awe at the thought of the latter but i am somewhat made so as to be capable of awe without terror and of the latter i felt nothing the composite figure drew nearer it was a woman on horseback immediately i recall the adventure of my childhood and then remembered that john had said his mother always rode the biggest horse she could find could that shape towering in the half-dark before me be indeed my deadly enemy she who my uncle had warned me would kill me if she had the chance a fear far other than ghostly invaded me and for a moment i hesitated whether to ride on or turn and make for some covert until she should have passed from between me and my home i hope it was something better than pride that made me hold on my way if the wicked i thought flee when no man pursueth it ill becomes the righteous to flee before the wicked by this time it was all but dark night and i had a vague hope of passing unquestioned there had been a good deal of rain and we were in a very marshy part of the heath so that i did not care to leave the track but just ere we met the lady turned her great animal right across the way and there made him stand ah thought i what could zoe do in a race with that terrible horse he seemed made of the darkness and rose like the figurehead of a frigate above a yacht show me the way to rising said his rider the hard bell voice was unmistakable when you come to where the track forks i began she interrupted me how can i distinguish in the dark she returned angrily go on before and show me the way now i had good reason for thinking she knew the way perfectly well and still better reason for declining to go on in front of her you must excuse me i said for it is time i were at home but if you will turn and ride on in front of me i will show you a better though rather longer way to rising go on or i will ride you down she cried turning her horse's head toward me and making her whip hiss through the air the sound of it so startled zoe that she sprang aside and was off the road a few yards before i could pull her up then i saw the woman urging her horse to follow i knew the danger she was in and though tempted to be silent called to her with a loud warning mind what you are doing lady carnage i cried the ground here will not carry the weight of a horse like yours and as i spoke he gave in and sprang across the ditch at the wayside there however he stood 
you think to escape me she answered in a low yet clear voice with a cat-like growl in it you make a mistake your ladyship will make a worse mistake if you follow me here i replied her only rejoinder was a cut with her whip to her horse which had stood motionless since taking his unwilling jump i spoke to zoe she bound off like a fawn i pulled her up and looked back lady carnage continued urging her horse i heard and saw her whipping him furiously she had lost her temper i warned her once more but she persisted then you must take the consequences i cried and zoe and i made for the road but at a point nearer home had she not been in a passion she would have seen that her better way was to return to the road and intercept us but her anger blinded her both to that and to the danger of the spot she was in we had not gone far when we heard behind us the soft plunging and sucking of the big hoofs through the boggy ground i looked over my shoulder there was the huge bulk like woodworth's peak towering betwixt us and the stars go zoe i screeched she bounded away the next moment a cry came from the horse behind us and i heard the woman say good god i stopped and peered through the dark i saw something but it was no higher above the ground than myself terror seized me i turned and rode back my stupid animal has bogged himself said lady carnage quietly deep in the dark watery peak as thick as porridge her horse gave a fruitless plunge or two and sank lower for god's sake i cried get off your weight is sinking the poor animal you will smother him it will serve him right she said venomously and gave the helpless creature a cut across the ears you will go down with him if you do not make haste i insisted another moment and she stood erect on the back of the slowly sinking horse come and give me your hand she cried you want to smother me with him i think not i answered you can get on the solid well enough i will ride home and bring help for your horse poor fellow stay by him talk to him and keep him as quiet as you can if you go on struggling nothing will save him she replied with a contemptuous laugh i got to the road as quickly as possible and galloped home as fast as zoe could touch and lift ere i reached the stable yard i shouted so as to bring out all the men when i told them a lady had her horse fast in the bog they bustled and coiled ropes put collars and chains on four drought horses lighted several lanterns and set out with me i knew the spot perfectly no moment was lost either in getting ready or in reaching the place neither the lady nor her horse was to be seen a great horror wrapped me round i felt a murderess she might have failed to spring to the bank of the hole for lack of the hand she had asked me to reach out or her habit might have been entangled so that she fell short and went to the bottom to be found one day hardly changed by the side of her peat-embalmed steed no ill-fitting fate for her but a ghastly thing to have had a hand in she might however be on her way to rising on foot i told two of the men to mount a pair of the horses and go with me on the chance of rendering her assistance we took the way to rising and had gone about two miles when we saw her through the starlight walking steadily along the track i rode up to her and offered her one of the cart horses i would not have trusted my zoe with her any more than with an american lion that lives upon horses she declined the proffer with quiet scorn i offered her one or both men to see her home but the way in which she refused their service made them glad they had not to go with her we had no choice therefore turned and left her to get home as she might not until we were on the way back 
did it occur to me that I had not asked Martha whether she knew anything about my uncle's departure. She was never one to volunteer news, and besides, would naturally think me in his confidence. I found she knew nothing of our expedition, as no one had gone into the house, had only heard the horses and voices, and wondered. I was able to tell her what had happened, but the moment I began to question her as to any knowledge of my uncle's intentions, my strength gave way, and I burst into tears. "'Don't be silly, Borlorba,' cried Martha almost severely. "'You, an engaged young lady, and tied so to your uncle's apron-strings that you cry the minute he's out of your sight. You didn't cry when Mr. Day left you.' "'No,' I answered. "'He was going only for a day or two. "'And for how many is your uncle gone? "'That is what I want to know. "'He means to be away a long time, I fear. "'Then it's nothing but your fancy sets you crying. "'But I'll just see,' she returned. "'I shall know by the money he left for the housekeeping. "'Only I won't budge till I see you eat. "'Faint for want of food, I had no appetite. "'But I began at once to eat, "'and she left me to fetch the money he'd given her as he went.' She came back with a pocketbook, opened it, and looked into it. Then she looked at me. Her expression was of unmistakable dismay. I took the pocketbook from her hand. It was full of notes. I learned afterward that it was his habit to have money in the house in readiness for some possible sudden need of it. End of chapter 27